Well, we're two weeks into the 40-day journey to a joy-filled life. How's it going? You know, two weeks in is kind of about the time where the newness wears off. The intrigue isn't necessarily there anymore. You know, it's kind of like the beginning of school. You're excited. You get new shoes, a new backpack, a new lunchbox. And, you know, you walk down the street and you stare at it. After about two weeks, you're like, ah, it's just my stuff. Oh, yeah, we're in a series. And the tendency is to stop taking it seriously. Stop doing the readings. Stop doing the homework. Going, hey, yeah, you know, I made a little bit of a change, and and that's nice. You know what? The goal is not to make a little bit of a change. The goal is transformation. To be radically different. To live a new way. To think a new way. To not be paralyzed from the past. But to live a joy-filled and victorious future. Still got 26 days. If you're here for the first time, welcome. Great to have you a part of what we're doing. We have some more devotional books. You can buy a copy at the back. But we hope you'll... Stick with the remainder of the series. It's not too late to change your life. Today, we're talking about the power of now. And I want to start in a verse that came from our devotional reading this morning in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It's a simple verse with profound implications. And too often, it's one we don't refer to enough. It's not one that we meditate on enough. And we try and complicate life so much so that we miss this one. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. First century, people understood agriculture and the society there. We're a little bit less connected to it, but I think the analogy Paul uses is one that you can grasp. You sow seed, and then you reap crops, a harvest, sometime later. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment if I was a farmer, and I didn't plant any seed. And weeks and months later, I walked out on my fields, and they were just, you know, full of dirt. And you came up and said, Ron, what, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just praying about the crops. I said, well, what would you plant in your fields this year? Well, I was kind of busy, so I didn't plant anything. You might pause for a moment and go, now help me to understand again what you're praying about. Well, I'm praying about my crops, and I'm really hoping the weather goes well, you know, that we don't have any floods. You'd be like, Ron, um, you didn't plant anything. Yeah, I know, but I'm just really worried about my crops. You know, at some point you'd go, Ron, um, you're not going to have any crops. Yeah, but I'm praying about it, and I really want crops. Yeah, but you got to put seed in the ground 
to have crops. You go, that's a pretty simple analogy, right? Well, where, where do we start in the verse? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You say, well, how can we be deceived? Well, just like the farming analogy, we go, I'm praying to be different. Well, what are you sowing? Oh, I'm not sowing anything. I'm not putting in any effort. I'm not putting any time. I'm not working on it. But, you know, I do pray that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and just be different. You know, I want to be happy, but I don't want to have to focus on changing my thought life. That's really hard. I want to be different. I want to be joy-filled. But it's just too hard to not worry. So I'm not sowing any of that, but Lord, please help me to be different. This is God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's a simple, straightforward teaching, but it's one that we so often miss. And we find ourselves discouraged because we're not reaping the things we want. Well, we never even had a chance to reap because we haven't been sowing. You follow the analogy. You're quiet out there, so I don't know if you're convicted or thinking about whether or not Tom Brady deflated all those footballs. Levetta kind of had an attitude with me when I asked her if Tom was going to cheat in the Super Bowl. She gave me the face. So you're with me, right? Not about the Tom Brady thing. Okay. That was a slight diversion there. Okay. So what are you sowing? What have you sown over the last two weeks? It takes work. It takes effort. I mean, you know, you set your mind. I'm going to be, you know, really positive and joy-filled. And then your neighbor says something that's negative. Like, oh. And then you think a negative thought, and you're like, you feel the battle. Then you go into work. Your boss isn't happy, and there's the battle. And then the kids, they don't get a good grade at school, and there's the battle. And you're like, oh. Keep sowing the right things. You see, the good news with sowing and reaping is God cannot be mocked. So if you sow the right thing again and again and again and again and again, you will reap the right things. The power of now. Now, The fact is, all change occurs now. All of it. There's not anything you change tomorrow. And there's not anything that you can change from the past. We're going to talk about this. Jesus agrees with this teaching. And point number one is, do not worry about tomorrow. I want you to think, just for a moment, what are your worries? Now, sometimes we're more sophisticated, so we call them concerns. So that we don't get labeled as a worrier. But I'm just concerned a lot. Mm-hmm. 
So anyway, what do you worry about? Your job? You're in school. My grades? My financial security long term? My marriage? Will I get married? Who will it be? My kids? You know, as a parent, you worry about your kids. You have dreams. But you wonder, how's it going to work out? You worry about your health. Will I ever retire? You know, what's, what's, what's on your heart? It's there. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's large. But we worry. And right about now, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to have a personal counseling time with you. Right now, this next verse, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 6. It's just you and Jesus. Any other worries and concerns that I did not mention, just include those. So you have just told Jesus what's on your heart, what bothers you, what keeps you awake. And now Jesus says, okay, sit down and let's have a talk. Verse 25, he says, therefore I tell you, not the person next to you, you, you and your worries and your concerns. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you, a little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, when you enter into worrying about future things, things tomorrow and beyond, Jesus says, Bad choice. He says, you're just wasting your time. It's not a good use of emotional or spiritual or physical energy. He says, just deal with today. He says, tomorrow will worry about itself. You say, why do we have such a hard time? It's what he says before that. Your heavenly father knows you need those things. Basically, Jesus said, the future needs to be entrusted to God. You can't do anything about the future anyway. He says, let God deal with that. 
But when we lack faith, we want to go try and take control of the future rather than just entrust the future to God. Jesus says, no, live in the moment. Live today. He's not talking about, you know, don't save for retirement because God's just going to rain money down on you one day. No, we're not talking about that. It's good to be responsible. On the other hand, we can worry in the name of being responsible. And Jesus says, no, the future is entrusted to God. What do we get consumed with? What, what is it about your future that can dominate your thinking? When we talk about the power of now, what's a distraction to that? You may be sitting here right now having a hard time focusing because you're thinking about a big presentation you got on Monday or some big project due this week, and you're going, okay, I know I need to listen, but it's so hard not to think about this. Like be settled in your heart and in your mind. You know what Jesus says the solution is? He says, but seek first. He says, how do you combat worrying about the future? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness now. Any part of our thinking that stops us from seeking first now reveals where our heart's at. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not only, it's a priority issue. Make it the first and best and greatest of what you accomplish every single day. Don't give God your leftovers. If you struggle to give God your best, it's because there's something that you're preoccupied with that you want to take care of first. When you can entrust your future to God, it takes all the pressure off. And frankly, God does a whole lot better job of living our lives than we do. You know, sometimes we are so illogical in our approach. You say, what do you mean? You ever, you know, made just bad decision after bad decision, got yourself into a real mess? And then you read a verse like this that just says, entrust your future to God. Seek first his kingdom. And you fight it? You say, well, why would you fight it? Well, because I want to do this. And it's like, well, whose decision making got you into the problem in the first place? Me. So why do you think me is going to fix it? You know, it's really kind of stupid thinking, right? But every single one of us has done it. Okay, I'll fix it. I'll do better. I'll do this. I'll work harder. I'll work more. It's like, no, no, no. Entrusting it to God is the decision that needs to be made. I love what Jesus says. Tomorrow will worry about itself. So you want to be joyful today? Stop worrying about tomorrow. Just live in the here and now. Okay, so that deals with everything forward. So that just eliminated all kinds of problems. All right? So that's good news. Okay, let's deal with the past. Number two, forget what is behind. Go to Philippians 3. You know, I was uh, preparing this point. Don't know why, but I, I was drawn back to a moment in Toronto when I was asked to be a part of a band. 
and it was a campus band, and we were having a 60s party, and we had a drummer, a lead singer, and a guitarist, but no bass player. So midweek, they said, anybody in here know how to play bass? No one raises their hand. Anybody in here ever play guitar? I'd strum some chords, so I was like, they go, okay, Ron, come here. Here's nine songs on cassette. Rent a bass and learn them, and we play in three weeks. I was so pathetic in bass skills. I didn't have the strength because, you know, they're thick strings, and I didn't know how to use both fingers to pluck the strings, so I did running bass lines with one talented finger. And I remember the day before our concert, our guitarist had played all over and, you know, was, was battle-hardened, and he goes, oh, yeah, Ron, one thing. No matter what mistake you make, never stop playing. He said, just smile and continue. He goes, only a bass player in the crowd will know you made a mistake. But if you stop and go, oh, then the whole world knows you made a mistake. Okay. So... You know, and not to belabor the point, but like on the fretboard, there's these little dots on top of the the neck that show you what fret you're on. So when you practice, you know, if you have to move to a fret, you can look and see the dots. Well, so the first concert we play, the only light we have is a front spotlight. So you can't see the little dots on top. So I'm up there going, oh, my goodness. So nine songs. And I'm slugging it out, not moving, just standing still, you know. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know. I was like, nope, just about the way you'd think I would be. That's how I was. And, you know, there's times where you got that transition and you move your hand out and all that, you go, wrong key, and you're like, there, we're at the right one. And I would just keep smiling. And I remember after the concert, somebody came up and said, man, you were amazing. (laughs) He said, you're one of the best bass players I've ever heard. (laughs) Obviously, not a musician. And they go, how many years have you been playing bass? I said, three weeks three weeks like yeah you know and I just went back to Mike had given me the uh Mike Bulky had given me the input and I go hey Mike it's true this guy came up and told me I was one of the best bass players he's ever heard I go I know that's not true but life's kind of like this and this is what Paul's telling us just keep playing notes just smile I mean what are you gonna do you play a wrong note you can't unplay it It's already out there. So you can stop, but the problem is the song's going on. And that's the way life is. You're living life. You're doing your best. Sometimes it's not your best. Sometimes you do a bonehead thing. Well, what are you going to do? 
You can stop and mope about it, but now you're just making all kinds of other mistakes. Just keep playing notes. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Not that I've obtained all this or been already made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I love these next verses. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if at some point you think differently, well, that too God will make clear to you. Meaning, you need to change if you disagree with me. Only let, a, let us live up to what we've already attained. You know, Paul says, hey, forget what's behind. He can't do anything about it. It already happened. He says, all of us who are mature will think like this. That means if we're stuck in the past, we're immature thinkers. It's not a badge of honor to be really in touch with all your past failures. You know, sometimes we we kind of pride ourselves on that. Oh, these people, they're really clued out, but not me. I'm clued in. I am aware of every weakness and fault that I have. I'm honest. Really. Are you anchored and stuck in the past, or did you just learn from it and move on and you keep playing notes? You know, the funny thing, when I read this, the first thing I think about is forgetting what is behind is my failures. You know what Paul was talking about before that? It wasn't his failures. It was actually his successes in a worldly point of view. He's like, man, my life was awesome. I had all kinds of great things. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, I, I was advancing. I was a stud. I was amazing. I was, I was the guy. And he says, but I consider all that rubbish. You know, sometimes we're stuck in the past of our glory days. Because we don't want to deal with the here and now. So we just go, oh man, I was a legend in high school. You know, I've started playing a little tennis again, and I played competitively up to 1985, and then haven't really played a whole lot in 30 years. And uh, you know what? My mind is still very sharp. Um, and I get in these matches, and my brain executes flawlessly. My body does not. You know, and I just find myself laughing going, yeah, when I was 18, that was an easy shot. Now I'm framing it, pulling my calf, trying to get there, and it's like, oh, gosh. You know, when when you feel inadequate now, you, you retreat to the safety of the glory days where we're all legends The farther back it goes, the more legendary status we have. Forget what is behind. That's what mature thinking is. 
You know, Paul talks about this in, in the realm of making change in our life, dealing with repentance, dealing with sin. In 2 Corinthians 7, he talks about godly and worldly sorrow. And he says this in verse 10 and 11, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Now think, think of this in terms of the past or the future. And go, what fits? So see what this has produced in you. What earnestness. What eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. What readiness to see justice done. At every point you proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. Does any part of that fit into the glory days of the past or worrying about the future? No. It's doing your best right now. And, and what I love about godly sorrow, it says, leaves no regret. No dark clouds. No somber living. When did Jesus ever have a counseling appointment where he said, now what I want, I, now you sinned in a big way, and what I want you to do is be really sad and pout for a month. And the more miserable you are about what you did, the more I will be convinced that you're sad. And then after a sorrowful month, then it's okay if you're happy. There's no counseling appointment ever like that in the Bible. It's some version of you sinned, don't do it anymore. Now, have a good life. That's how it goes. It's not any more complicated than that. It doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. Yeah, it was wrong, but learn from it. We keep playing notes. Jesus doesn't want us to feel bad. He wants us to change. That's why worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, the, the only similarity between those two things is sorrow. But the complete difference is that godly sorrow produces a change now. Worldly sorrow is just sorrow, and it produces death. You know, worldly sorrow can be produced when we're afraid of moving forward so we do nothing today. Or when we're stuck in the glory days of the past so we do nothing today. Worldly sorrow produces no change. Godly sorrow is defined by what it has produced in you. You want to change? Change now. You'll never change tomorrow. And you can't change the past. We've got to forget what is behind, both good and bad. Learn from it. But then be able to move forward. Okay. So Paul dealt with the past. Jesus dealt with the future. So all we got left is now. See, didn't I just solve a whole bunch of your problems? You got so much more free time in your heart, in your mind, because you don't have to worry about the past or the future. So, you know, you can thank me in the fellowship. It's fine. You say, well, what's, what's left? Final point, 
your here and now moment. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Jesus is strolling into town. And there was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You know the song? Verse 5. Jesus reached the spot. And he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus! Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this. They began to mutter. See, they, they were not a part of the 40 days to a joy-filled life. There's no muttering chapter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. I love this. And if I've cheated anybody, if, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Zacchaeus had a here and now moment. We don't even know what happened before this time. All we know, he was the chief tax collector. And we know he cheated people. So in the community, they they knew he was a sinner. But Jesus came into his midst. They had lunch. And Zacchaeus said, all right. Here and now. You know, your life will be determined by your here and now moments. Not by your future and not by your past. It's the here and now moments that will be the difference makers. That will change your life for eternity. You know, I was so uh, proud of Donna Lucero getting baptized. And, you know, you hear the sharing and you think about her journey. It was uh, nine and a half, ten years. Coming out, being a part of things and studying the Bible. And But you know what it boiled down to in her life? Same as Zacchaeus. A here and now moment. And her life's different. Because she made a decision. You know, a lot of times we can be sitting out there going, you know, someday I'm going to change. I know I need to. Just not yet. I'll keep working a little bit on it. I'll just keep attending a little more. I'll get a little more knowledge. You know, at some moment in time, it has to be a here and now moment. Say no turning back. I am making a commitment. We got to live in the present. That's where the here and now moments occur. Say, what are you wrestling with right now? Today, this morning, where you can experience a here and now moment. You can you can leave different. 
I mean, you think about this story. Jesus walking into town. Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he wants to see him. Jesus says, come on down, and you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. No, he didn't. He said, come on down. I'm going to eat at your house. One conversation. Here and now. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come. In many cases, we've been plagued for decades by struggles, fears, insecurities, sins that we hate in our life. And Jesus is simply saying, have a here and now moment. Why not today? Don't save it for tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Say, what conversation will you have? What conversation do you want to have? What do you want to open up about? What do you want to get help with? What is it that's right now burning in you? Like, okay, this has got to be my moment. Say, pull somebody aside. Ask the question. Have the talk. Before you leave. Because too much is at stake. Your whole life is at stake. You know, joy is found lived out in the here and now. And that's where Jesus wants us to be. There's so many awesome things. You know, last weekend, so many of us were up working at Carousel Ranch, and it was incredible. You know, you can plan to work at Carousel Ranch, but it's different when you're there working at Carousel Ranch. And saying, I want to change, is a whole lot different than changing. Let's take it out of the theoretical realm and have a here and now moment. We got 26 days left of our series. We want our life to be different. We want your life to be different. We want our thinking to be different. Remember, God will not be mocked. A man or woman reap what they sow. You sow the right things, reaping is a promise. But let's not be like the farmer that walks out to a dirt-filled field and is just praying for results, but never planted the seed. Let's sow what needs to be sown. Keep playing notes. Give it your best each and every day. And let's live with the power of now. Let's stand as we close in one final song.